going to go to John chapter 5, beginning at verse 2. Let's read this. The Bible says, Now in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate of the pool, which was Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida, which surrounded by five covered... Now, I want you to understand something about this. Go to verse, verse 3. Here, there was a great number of disabled people that used to lie. They were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed. For an angel of the Lord went down a certain season into the pool and stirred the waters. Whoever was there first after the stirring up the water stepped in and was made well from whatever disease he was afflicted by. One who was there had been invalid, crippled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? He didn't answer yes or no. Notice what he said, sir. The invalid person replied, I have no one to help me into this pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, he walked, the day of which took place on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. Use it mightily into our lives. Father, I know that there are some of us here today, listening online as well. There's a certain condition in our lives we're tired of. I believe there's a certain condition in our hearts, in our minds, or maybe even physical, that we've been in for a long time. Father, I also believe this condition, whatever it is, has robbed us of our joy, our peace, our family, even our future. Father, we know that with you there's always a new day. There's always hope. So I pray for everyone here who came to hear your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I want to speak to you this morning on a subject I've titled, Waiting on a Miracle. Waiting on a miracle. By a show of hands, how many of you are in need of a miracle in your life right now? Come on, show me your hand. Maybe it's a miracle of seeing your loved one come to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a miracle of healing, financial miracle. It's a miracle in your child. I believe that all of us are in need of a miracle somewhere in our lives. I believe here today, life cannot just be so good that there's no place in your life you can think of where you need a miracle in. Some of you are in such bad shape right now that you need multiple miracles in many areas of your life, and that's okay too. When I read this scripture, I read of a man who was crippled for 38 years. 38 years. But see, what I love about this man is that the Bible says in verse 3, I want to point this out here in verse 3. The Bible says, there laid a great multitude of sick people. Now where they were laying was called the Pool of Bethesda. 
And that's an Aramaic word that means the house of mercy. Now, I believe that sometimes in our lives, we want God to show his mercy. Do you remember as a child, I don't know maybe if, if girls did this, but I know the guys definitely did. Do you remember a game called mercy? Anyone? Yeah, that, that was, that's painful. I remember my brother Enrique here, look at him, right? He would grab me. And he would twist my arm. And it was so painful. And he said, all you have to do is say it. Just say it. Say it. And I would cry and say, mercy. And he would let go. Those were games that I don't even understand. How was that even fun back then? But do you ever feel like that's what God is doing to you? You ever feel like God is just grabbing you and he's causing all this pain and turmoil and you're just saying, God, how long do I have to be in this mess? How long do I have to struggle? And sometimes you just want to cry out to God and say, mercy, let it go already. Give me relief. Give me rest. That's why I believe these men and women all alike, they sat in the house of mercy because these people were inflicted with pain and agonies and sicknesses. And maybe by being in that house of mercy, they were demonstrating to God, we need some mercy in our lives. We're tired of being sick. We're tired of being disabled. We're tired of just sitting here useless and hopeless. God, mercy! And they all sat Great multitudes of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. But this is what I love about this man. Waiting. Come on, say that word with me. Waiting. They were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed, and they were waiting for the movement. You say, well, pastor, what does that do? What what does that change? How does that change the story? It changes this entire story around. Because even I've made the mistake of preaching this wrong, believe it or not. I used to think that this man was just sitting there lazy, doing nothing, with full of excuses and blaming other people. But that is so wrong. Because the Bible says this man... Waiting. And see, when you're waiting, it's because you know something can change. When you're waiting, it's because you know God can still do something. And when you're waiting, it's because you know something good can still come. That's why when you're in a restaurant and you're waiting for food, you're waiting for your meal because you know it's coming. What if today you're waiting and that's the greatest demonstration of faith you can show God because waiting means I'm waiting because I know you're still God and you can still move and in the right season I can get up and change if you're waiting God bless you I feel sorry for those who say I'm done waiting I'm done believing I'm done dreaming I'm done hoping If you've come to this church today and you're waiting on a miracle, God is applauding you. 
Because the way means you still believe in God. You still believe in hope. Am I preaching to someone today? Psalm 27, let me prove this to you. Psalm 27, 13. David, who went through wars and armies and betrayals and lies and giants and lions and bears and everything alike, he said, I am still what? Confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What I love about David is even though he went through trials, he went through wars, he went through struggles, he went through betrayal, he went through family crisis, he went through giants, he went through all the mess in his life, he said, I am still confident I will see the goodness of the Lord. And I love that he says, in the land of the living, that's here on earth, not in heaven, because God still wants to do good right now on this earth while you're still alive. So stop thinking, I'm, I'm waiting to get to heaven to be happy. I'm waiting for the glory days and the latter days in heaven when I will be healed. What if God says, no, don't you wait for heaven. I can give you heaven on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what God says. David says, I'm still confident. How can he even be confident that he will see the goodness of the Lord? Because some of you, if you're honest with yourself, you're saying, nah. Nothing good ever happens to me, Pastor. Pastor, I, 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 my, my best days are behind me. Nothing good is coming up to my, nothing good is, why would I believe? Notice what David says, I'm confident. Are you confident today that you're going to see the goodness of God? Notice how he demonstrated this confidence. I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. There's something about waiting that demonstrates to God your confidence in his goodness. The fact that you're still waiting for something means you still believe it can happen. The fact that you're waiting on something, it means that you're confident God can bring it. But I know that when you're waiting, you can get tired. And when you're waiting, you can get discouraged. That's why God says here through David, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. See, I'm convinced that this man is demonstrating his faith. Because after 38 years, you would say, why wait? After 38 years, you would say, why bother? If it hasn't changed in 38 years, why would it change for me now? But I love the fact that even though it was 38 years of the same difficult condition, there he was Waiting because he still believed in the movement of God. Have you lost your faith in the movement of God because of the time length and the situation of your difficult circumstance? Let me ask you this morning. What are you waiting for? 
What is it that you have convinced yourself that you're waiting for? What is it that you are absolutely beyond a doubt sure that once I have this in my life, things will change? What are you waiting for? Think about it. What is it that you have told yourself, once I've done this, things will change? Once I have this, things will get better. Once God does this for me, I'll be happy. What milestone is it? What accomplishment, what possession is it that you're waiting for that has convinced you? See, for this man, it was the pool of Bethesda. It was the pool. All of it was the pool. It was all about the pool, the pool, the pool. Once I can get in that pool, I know my life will change. I will be happy and things will get better. All of us, I believe, have a pool. We're all convinced this is what I need. And I'm going to wait on it because this is what I know is going to change my life. Some of you, you're waiting to get married. And those that are married are waiting to be widowed. <laughs> Let it sink in. You're waiting for kids. You're waiting for that house. You're waiting for the career. You're waiting for the promotion. You're waiting for retirement. You're waiting for that certain amount of money. You're waiting for that pension. Listen, we can't enjoy where we're at today because we're so busy thinking about what we're waiting for. Waiting is all we do. I'm waiting because I know that if I can get this, and if I can have this, and if I can do this, and if I can accomplish this, then I know I'll be happy. So he tries to get in that pool because, remember, the pool is the answer. The solution to everything is if I can get to the pool. And he tries. But it doesn't work out. As soon as he tries, he yells for help. Someone help me. Get up quick. The pool's moving. Help me. And everyone just rolls by him. He tells Jesus, I have no one to help me. As soon as the pool began to stir again, he said, well, no one's going to help me. I'm going to do it myself. And as he tried to get up, someone just cut him off and got in front of him. Can you not sense the frustration, the discouragement, and the anger as he's trying to get to that place where he knows this is what I need to be happy. This is what I need to change. This is what I need to be healed. But every time he tries, something goes wrong. So he's exhausted. He's frustrated. He's discouraged because he's trying to get to this pool, but it never works out. See, there's a lot of people I'm convinced like this man. Maybe you're frustrated towards life. You're exhausted. Because what you're waiting for hasn't happened yet. And every time you think it's going to happen, it doesn't work out. And something always goes wrong that prevents you to get to that place you've been waiting for. And when it doesn't work out, you naturally begin to question God. Why am I waiting for this? Is it going to happen, Lord? Should I just stop trying? Should I stop waiting? It's not working out. I'm losing all hope. I'm being let down. It never works out for me. 
every time I try. You ever feel like that? It just doesn't work out. But see, when I read this, I, the Lord impressed something on me. It wasn't working out. Because God had other plans. And God was going to bring healing through another source. And it was not going to be the pool, but it was going to be Jesus. See, could it be that maybe today you're waiting on the wrong thing? You're waiting for the wrong person. You're waiting for the wrong job. You're waiting for something you think you need because he thought the pool was the answer, but God had other plans. And what happens is it can become so frustrating when you're wasting all your energy and strength and devotion to something God's going to say, not that pool. See, the pool represents what we think we need. The pool represents what we think will make us happy. See, because in our pride, we tend to think we know what's best for us. And in our pride, we tend to think we know how God should do things. And this man was so distracted by the pool, he couldn't see Jesus right in front of him. And maybe today, you're distracted by your plans and not God's. You're distracted by your ways and not God's. And you're so caught up in how you think God should do things that you have stopped to believe that even God is in control and he's going to lead you. We thought, this man thought, the answer is the pool. If I can get to the pool, I'll be happy. But God had other plans. You see, the pool taught me three things. You guys want them? The first thing it taught me is first, just because God did it for someone else doesn't mean he'll do it for you. Did the pool not heal other people? Yeah. So he naturally thought the pool would heal me. Because we, we have to admit, we can become comparative little Christians. And you look at someone's life or someone's social media page or conversation, and they're giving you a testimony. I don't know if it's a testimony or bragging. You and the devil know. But anyway, they're, they're talking about what God is doing, and there's a little voice that convinces you, oh, God's going to do it for you too. You hear little testimonies of miracles of other people and you think, man, if God did it for them, he's going to do it for me. He thought because the pool healed other people, naturally the pool is going to heal him. Hey, if this person got the promotion, God, I know you're going to do it for me. And God, if this person got married and I'm a lot hotter than they are, I know that you're going to do it for me. 
And God, if they got this and you did that for them, I know you're going to do it for me. Isn't that what they told Jesus when Lazarus died? They said, couldn't the one who healed the blind man, this blind man, couldn't the one who healed the blind man have prevented this? See, we're convinced that if God does something for someone else, naturally God is saying, I'm going to do it for you. Could you accept the fact and have the faith to believe that God may not always operate how he's operated in other people's lives that are in front of you? You're looking at other people's life and family and marriage and job and ministry and promotions and you've assumed that the same God that they're serving is the same God you're serving and though it is the same God, naturally that God has to do that for me. And God said no. The pool healed them, but that pool is not going to heal you. It's not my will. The second thing I learned from this man is that God has the ability to frustrate your plans. See, this is a concept that's not taught in church often. But in Psalm 55, 9, the Bible says, confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their what? Their plans. The Bible says a man plans with his heart, but God determines the end. God laughs when you plan your life out. Did you know that God says one of my greatest abilities is to frustrate your plans? That means that when your plans naturally don't work out, and it frustrates you, because you thought it would work out. You thought this is how exactly God is going to do it. And everything you've tried has just gone wrong, has slapped you back in the face, and now you're frustrated. Do you know that this is one of the greatest demonstrations of God's love? When God frustrates your plans, and when he allows things not to work out and fail, whether it be an opportunity, whether it be a dream or a relationship, whatever it is, the Lord is actually doing so to protect you and bring about his plan. And whose plans would be better, yours or God's? Some of you say, oh, I think my plan would be better. I, I can imagine it. God says, I'll frustrate you and your plans. Think about this, church. What if this man would have gotten the help he needed to get to that pool? What if no one cut him off? What if that pool did heal him? Would he have ever have met and known Jesus Christ? Would he have ever been saved? No. See, you have to trust God when he closes doors on you. You have to trust God when things are frustrating and don't work out. 
You have to trust God when you put all your effort into something and it fails. Because oftentimes we think, Lord, it should have worked. But sometimes our natural reaction should be, Lord, I don't understand it. It doesn't seem fair and it's hard to understand. But I trust you and I thank you because whatever door you've closed, you've done it for my good. Because God works all things for good for those who love him. In this lie, I call it the Instagram lie because it's posted all the time. When God closes the door, he opens the window. No, he doesn't. When God closes the door, look at the back door. No, you don't. Sometimes all doors are closed and God has you waiting. Am I preaching truth today? Because I see some of your faces, you're frustrated. I thought that was it. I thought it was going to work out. It just cl- and nothing works for me. Never works out. Maybe you should thank God for that. I think if God would have given you everything you thought you needed, you'd be a hot mess right now. You ever look back in some relationships that didn't work out and thank God? <laughs> you're like, what was I thinking? Because you liked the bad boys back then. We have to trust God when plans are frustrated. And the third thing I saw in this man in the pool, first is to understand that because it worked for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. Understand that God has the ability and his love to frustrate your plans for good reason. And lastly, you know what I learned from this man? You want to learn it too? It's found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We memorize this. We don't understand it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Just pause there for a second. If you want to drive yourself up the wall crazy, lean on your understanding. Because there are some things in life God has not given you the ability to understand. But if you keep trying to understand it, you're just going to get aggravated. So here's what I learned from this man. Abandon your plans. This is hard. In a culture that tells us, believe and dream and imagine and go for it. And that's all great and nice. But sometimes I think we make idols of our plans. We make idols of our desire. And as children of God, we need to come to a place where we trust God so much we abandon our plans and our understanding on how God should work, how God should do things, how God is really like, just lean on him. It was this man's understanding that the pool was going to heal him. It was this man's understanding that he needed people to get him there. Some of you think you need people to get to where God wants you. You need no one but God. 
This guy, I know it. It was his understanding. I need someone. I need to mingle. I need connections. I need to network and to get in that pool. You don't need nobody. And every time I try, someone cuts me off. It was hers understanding that people were mean and selfish. It was his understanding that the pool was the answer. And all along, the answer was right in front of them. Whatever you think you need, if it's not Jesus, you don't need it. He was right in front of them. You think it's a job that's going to make you happy? A relationship's going to make you happy? A milestone's going to get you happy? A little baby's going to get you happy? Listen to me, Jesus, who fulfills all your desires. He was right in front of him, but he was so distracted, and I can prove it to you. Jesus walks up to this man, Jesus, and the guy is still talking about the pool. The healer of healers, the king of kings is right in front of you, and as he's talking to Jesus, he's like, but what about my pool? What about my pool, Lord, my pool? But what about, I don't want the pool. I like the pool. I want the pool, Lord. Some of you, God's right in front of you, but you're so distracted by the little pool you want. But Lord, what about my dreams? What about my life? What about this? What about that? What about him? What about her? He was so distracted, he called him sir. Now, I know this is crazy. Because in the pool of Bethesda, there were actually people there to help others get in. This man thought Jesus was a pool boy. And he's telling him, you haven't done your job. I haven't gotten help. I've been cut off. We're so distracted by our plans. We're so distracted by our dreams. We're so distracted by our desires. We don't even think the fact that Jesus has other plans for us. So what? It didn't work out. Thank God. He has a plan for you. I love this man. I got to tell you, after 10 years of being a pastor, I I never liked this man. Because I didn't understand him. But I love this man now. And here's why. Verse 6 and 7. Waiting for his pool. I love this. Jesus saw him. Now, the Bible did it not say there was a multitude of people. But why did Jesus just, hey, hey, disciples, look, look at that guy. Look at him. Yeah, Jesus, he's like, no, he's not like everyone else. Look at him. Jesus got his attention so much, he even began to ask questions about him. How did Jesus know how long he's been in this condition? Because Jesus started researching this man's life. Busy Jesus stopped to say, I want to understand where you're at in your life. You know that's how close God is to you right now? He knows every detail of how long you've been in that situation. He knows the desires of your heart, and he knows that some of those desires are not in his heart. I know, ouch. 
But if you abandon your plans, I guarantee peace will come. But I love this man. Because he said Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there in that condition for a long time. Everyone say, long time. Long time. He asked him, you want to get well? Sir, (laughs) pool boy. He replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Listen, see, you all missed it. Some of you are going to go, oh, amen. No, you missed it. This is what changed my life forever. You guys want your life changed? Right here. Let's read it out loud together. Slowly, like Sesame Street style. Ready? While, come on, while I am trying. I love this. 38 years and you're still trying? Is that not determination? I don't know what is. 38 years in that corner. And you're still waiting. And you're still trying. See, I think that's what got Jesus' attention. Because Jesus found out he's been this way for 38 years and he keeps trying. See, stop looking at the fact that you failed and stop praising yourself that you've tried. Everyone keeps thinking, well, well, I, I failed here, and I failed there, and I didn't do it right there. My question to you, church, is, did you try? I love this man because in the past, I thought he was lazy. I thought he was full of excuses. I thought he was just blaming other people. But that's just not true. He tells Jesus, trying. You you ever feel like telling God, Lord, I'm trying? I know I'm failing, God. I know I, I could be better, but Lord, I'm trying. God, I know you can do the impossible, and I know you can work miracles, but I'm trying. Lord, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep trying. Stop looking at the fact that you failed and embrace the fact that you've tried. That's why I love you guys in this church. You may be a hot mess, but you're trying. Some of you, the second church is over, you're going to fail in the parking lot. You're not even going to make it to your car. But at least you came to church and you tried. Some of you say, well, you can get through one verse and you don't understand it. At least you're trying. But pastor, I pray and I fall asleep after one sentence. But at least you're trying. 
I'm trying to control this anger. And then it seems like I can, and every time I try, I fail and I snap. But at least you're trying. I'm trying to control my mouth, but every time I try, the juicy gossip comes, and I'm trying. And I'm trying to forgive them, and I'm trying to fix my marriage. I'm trying to heal myself. I'm trying. I'm trying to get right. I'm trying to get clean. I'm trying. I'm trying. Trying to raise these kids. I'm trying to be a good employee. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying. He tells Jesus, I'm waiting. I know I've been here for 38 years, but I'm waiting because I believe something can change. Do you believe that today? Have you told God now, Lord, I'm not much, but I'll try. I'm trying, Lord, but I need help. I love that because this story shows us three areas he tried and failed. The first area he said was, Lord, I'm trying, but... I have no one. I love this guy. Because he has no support. He has no one helping him. He has no one cheering him on. He doesn't have a support team. He's alone in this. And just because you're alone in whatever area of your life, don't you give up. Some of you are saying, God, I'm lonely. My phone's not ringing. Friends aren't calling. I'm alone on the weekends. I'm alone in church. I don't, I'm alone. I'll keep trying. Oh, I'm sad. And I'll cry. And I'll eat by myself. And I'll watch my Netflix by myself. I have no one. That's why I love our church. Because this is the church of the single moms club. And you don't have him in your life anymore helping you. You keep trying to raise those kids in the ways of God. I love this church because we have some men here that, that are residents in the mission. And they're residents here because their families didn't want them out there. Did you know that? Mom and dad said, we want nothing to do with you. Brothers and sisters, turn your back on you. You had no one, but you came into the mission because you said, I'm going to keep trying. We have to stop thinking that the answer lies in people because people will hurt you. People will abandon you. I love this man because he said, I have no one, but I'm trying. 
You may not even be perfect. People say, why do you even go to church? You know you're going to sin again. You look at them and say, at least I'm going to church and I'm trying. He said, Lord, I'm trying, but every time someone cuts me off. So this guy says, you know, I'm trying even though I'm lonely. Then he says, I'm trying even though people cut me off. See, some of you, people have hurt you. People have taken advantage of you. And rather than get mad and bitter and complain, you keep trying. You can hold on to a grudge. You can remember the mistakes of others. You can walk in unforgiveness. But the ones that need the miracle knows that's going to get them nowhere. So no matter who has hurt you, who's walked out on you, who's turned their back on you, who in their own selfishness has caused you pain, you keep trying. And I'll close with the last one. He looked at Jesus and said, I'm trying. I'm trying through my loneliness. I'm trying through the pain of other people cutting me off. Lord, I need a miracle and I'm trying. What I love about this man is as he's waiting, because he still believes something can change. See, I want to just tell you today, if you're here, wait on the Lord. Because something good is coming. He just has you waiting. And maybe the pool didn't work out and the thing you thought would be their answer didn't. But it's because Jesus had something better in mind. So he, he says, I'm trying through loneliness. I'm trying through betrayal. And verse 14, Jesus looks at this man and says something interesting. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said, I see you're well again. This is after he healed him and he said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. You know what I love about this man? The Bible tells us in the context here that the reason he got sick in the first place was because of some immoral sin in his life. You know what I love about this man? Is some of us think because of our sin, because of our past, because of our failures, we are disqualified from the grace and miracle of God. But even though this man knew he was in the state he was in because of his sin, he kept waiting. Because he knew, even though I have sinned, even though I have fallen short, even though I have messed up and made wrong choices, I'm going to wait because I still believe God can turn my life around. Do you believe in a God that can turn your life in spite of the sin of your past? Even though I have sinned and I don't deserve it, I'm going to keep trying. The devil wants to remind you of your failure. He's the accuser reminding you of your past. But if you can get past that and know that without regret, 
If you have confessed your sins to God, you have been forgiven. So you keep waiting, you keep hoping and believing in the goodness of God. You are not disqualified. So this man needed a miracle and he was waiting for it. But as he waited, he kept trying. You're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I have no one to help me. Keep trying. Pastor, but people have hurt me. You keep trying. But Pastor, I have failed and I have sinned. You keep trying. The Bible says that Jesus looked at this man and said, get up. Walk. I love this because this man realized the answer was right in front of me the whole time. His name was Jesus. All this time I wasted my time on the pool. And I thought the pool was the way and I thought the pool was the answer to my happiness and my transformation. It was never about the pool. It was always about Jesus. Could you enter this place in your life where you just abandon your plans and say, God, do what you want. And until then, I'm going to keep trying. You keep coming to church. Keep trying. You'll get, you'll get it. You keep picking up that Bible and reading it. Keep trying. Keep praying. Keep believing. God loves those who get up versus those who just stay down. Are you getting this this morning? Try. Come on, slap your neighbor and say, try. Come on, keep trying. Don't give up now. Oh, you're alone, yeah, but don't give up. Yeah, people have hurt you, don't give up. What I love about this story is that the Bible says Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda. Now, the Bible makes it clear it was called the Sheep's Gate. Now, this was the part of the temple in Jerusalem that the sheep that were about to get sacrificed would walk into this gate. Could it be that's why Jesus, instead of going through the main entrance, he went through the sheep's gate because he was letting the world know, I'm the lamb that has come to take away the sins of the world and sacrifice himself for you. If you want to be reminded why you should never give up and keep trying, it's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins because he's never given up on you. If you're saying, Pastor, I need a miracle. Let's all stand to our feet with every head bowed, every eye closed today. You're saying, Pastor, I need a miracle. I want you to think about for a moment what your pool is what you think you need. Tell God your plans. And today, just tell God, I abandoned my plans. And I'll trust you. I'll wait on you. I'll keep trying. 
Lord, I need a miracle. I feel alone. People hurt me. I have sin in my life. But I'll keep waiting. I'll keep believing. And I'll keep trying. The Lord is telling someone here today, you keep trying and love that person. You keep trying and get on that path to righteousness. Keep trying. Don't give up just because you failed. So if you're here this morning, you're saying to yourself, Jesus was the answer the whole time. The answer is yes. This is a world that's deceived by the pool. We live in a world that's convinced that everything but Jesus will bring them happiness and satisfaction. And it's not a relationship, it's not a drug, it's not a drink, it's not a pleasure, it's not a house, a car, a job. Any amount of money can bring the satisfaction like Jesus can. And this man was trying for the wrong thing. What this man needed was just to trust in Jesus. So today I want to give you this opportunity. If you're here today and you're saying, God, I've been so distracted by the pools that I haven't seen that it's you that I've needed this whole time. And if you're here today, you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and give him the control and surrender to him. And if you want your sins to be forgiven, maybe you've strayed away from him. Maybe this is the first time. Whatever the reason, today is a day of salvation, the Bible says. You put your hand up right where you're at. I want to see you. Say, Pastor, this is me. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand there. And if you're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I love Jesus. I'm a born-again believer, but I need a miracle. And sometimes I want to give up trying because it's been too long. But let this man be a reminder to us. 38 years of trying for the wrong thing gave him frustration. He gave Jesus one try and it worked. One try. So whatever miracle you need, give it to Jesus today. If you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I want to surrender my miracle to Jesus. And I want to abandon my plans. And I want to trust the Lord to lead me because the Lord might do it by other means that you thought it was this way he was going to do it. You thought this was the answer. But let this story be a reminder that what we think is best may not be God's best. So can you trust him when the pool is closed? Father, I pray for every person here today. If you're in need of a miracle, you hold your hand up. I want to pray over your life today. God bless you. Father, these hands are lifted up because miracles are needed. I pray for a miracle of healing. Father, I pray for children to come back home. For minds to be transformed. Father, these are your children here. And they're waiting because they still believe goodness could happen. But Lord, we're tired. And we're waiting. But 
Lord, we'll keep trying. And I pray for those who are going through seasons of loneliness. I pray for those who call a pet their friend. For those who have no one to eat with. For those whose phones are going silent. For those who waste the week in the way. By themselves. Surround them with your presence. And Father, at the right season, and by your will, bring change into that life. And I pray for those who have been cut off, who have been hurt by other people's selfishness, who have been lied about and taken advantage of, for those who have come to this church with anger and bitterness and complain about others, Father, give them the strength to keep trying through pain, keep trying through hurt, to keep pushing, even when others that should have helped them, should have been there, should have loved them, cut them off. And for those who have come to this church with sin in their past, and shame that have been forgiven, Lord, but they can't forgive themselves. Father, I pray you give them a special anointing of grace to keep trying. Not to give up. That failure is not their destiny. And Father, as the devil accuses them of their past and their sin, let them be reminded that they are a child of God. And as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed their transgression and sins. And we pray for miracles to take place. As we keep waiting, believing, we trust you to give us the answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. I will see you all Sunday. I love you all. Keep trying.